Hi, and welcome to show number 32 of the El Capsita Travel Talks, a podcast where people share travel stories and adventures. My name is Tony Lloyd, and I'm your host. For today's show, I meet up with an old friend, and we reminisce about the old days, what travel was like back then, and some of the new ways that people are traveling today. Before we start, just like to remind you, for anyone who would like to contribute to our show, please take a look at our podcast notes to see how you can make a donation. Look at the Facebook page for the written stories, and if you're someone who likes to write or have an idea for a future show, also if you have any comments or observation or ways that I can improve on the show, please send me an email to lcapsitatraveltalks at gmail.com. Please subscribe to any one of the podcast providers so you get the updates as soon as the shows come in. For now, please get yourself a cup of tea or a coffee and enjoy today's show. Hi, my name is Cindy Smith, and I am currently living in Vallejo, California, which is uh, about 50 miles north of San Francisco. Okay. Well, Cindy, I'm glad to be talking to you today because we go way back. <laughs> we go way back. We do. <laughs> Actually, a funny thing that I remember, years ago, we had this bet about who was older. It turned out that I won because I'm exactly one day older than you. That's true. You are. My birthday is on the 4th of June and yours is on the 5th, right? Good memory. Yes. That's funny. <laughs> okay. Tell, tell the audience a little bit about your travel history. You know, I grew up in, as a military brat with three brothers, no sisters. One brother's a twin. And my, so my family's always been a travelers. Uh, my dad was a career military man. But I got the bug really early on about traveling just by visiting all of these places where we were stationed. And, you know, they say that growing up in the military... You can, it either produces someone with wanderlust or a really strong desire to travel or the opposite, where because of all the travel, you feel like you really need to root somewhere and establish roots and settle down and be stable. And my twin brother, he's rooted. And I, to this day, still have wanderlust. And I, I remember some of my first memories of being in England in the snow and in Germany as a preteen. We visited castles and saw the student prince in Heidelberg and learned to ski in Switzerland and all this stuff. So I was fascinated by all of it. But what I guess really traveled or triggered my traveling as an adult was when I, I was in a 10-year relationship in my 20s and was, we were living together. And this was during and then after college. And I could feel the wanderlust growing. Um, he was older than me. He was looking to settle down and I was looking for adventure. So I looked into this international studies program in Africa where I'd always wanted to visit. It was a three month program. And I will never forget his response was, you don't expect me to wait for you, do you? And a light went off, a bell went off. And the decision was made that I was leaving the relationship. And I decided I was going to join Peace Corps to live in it as a community, uh, in a community as a local and not visit as a tourist. I remember telling the recruitment officer to get me as close to the equator as possible. And so they sent me to Ecuador. And that's where my, my real adventure started. And that's where we met. <laughs> and that's where we met, exactly. You got to Ecuador and explain a little bit about what you were doing in Ecuador when you first got to Ecuador. Yeah, so I, you know, my family wasn't really surprised at all at my decision. Um, they were super supportive. But this was in 1997 when Columbia's FARC which was the, you know, the, the rebel military group, was active north of Ecuador and Colombia. And then Sendero Luminoso, or the Shining Path, was, was still, even though it had been kind of disbanded in 92, was still 
there are still remnants. And in fact, Peace Corps volunteers were considered suspicious and CIA operatives down there. So anybody stationed close to the border had to be really careful. But uh, I was stationed in a uh, assigned to a biological station in one of the last remnant coastal rainforest, uh, rainforests in Ecuador, quite a ways in. It was about, about two and a half hour bus ride from Quito and then an hour truck ride where the truck couldn't go anymore. And then it was a four hour hike. It was some of the most beautiful place I've ever been to in my life. So I, my job was basically to work with communities on an extension group. And it was, it was a really wonderful experience. And I did that for, for two years. You know, that's what sharing humanity is what it's all about. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I'm, I, I, I hope people come away from this after we, after we have our chat is that, you know, staying in a bubble of your comfort zone, it, it may feel like you're, you're safe, but it's only when we get out and share our humanity with each other that we really learn who we are and we learn, you know, uh, what, you know, it opens doors, it opens eyes, it opens experience, and it, it just is something that, that is, is so important for us as human beings to, to connect. So I 100% agree. And of course, this is why I do the Capacito Travel Talks, so people could yeah. hear these things and more connections could be made. If I could help <laughs> make a few more connections, I'm, I'm be happy. You are the connection guy. <laughs> well, I, rem- you. I remember your dinner parties very well. Well, so. <laughs> that, that will be another story, another time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sure we could go on for a long time about your Peace Corps experience and all the things you did on the peace you did in the Peace Corps. However, it was after the Peace Corps then you you were managing something that was called at the time the South American Explorers Club. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. Uh, could you please explain what the South American Explorers Club was? Sure. Um, so South American Explorers was started in the 70s and uh, it's based in New York, in Ithaca, New York. Uh, it was a nonprofit organization which it promoted culturally aware and environmentally conscious travel in Latin America and South America specifically. It was, uh, I was hired as manager at the Quito Clubhouse. Uh, there was also a clubhouse in Cusco and one in Lima. Uh, and I think they eventually wanted to open up one in Buenos Aires. But um, uh, we provided assistance to support and support to like solo travelers, group travelers, researchers, uh, scientists, students, and pretty much anybody that walked in the door, um, some Ecuadorians as well. Uh, the, the goal was to promote field research, education, outdoor adventure like climbing and hiking and rafting, uh, and be kind of this this hub, the center for people to look up trip reports from other, from other travelers, get the kind of a firsthand experience from a recent traveler or a traveler that had been there several years before, but what their experience was. We offered, offered guidebooks, topo maps. We encouraged volunteerism, which was really big in Ecuador, which is the, the whole volunteering at, normally it's, oftentimes it's an eco based volunteer opportunity, but it could be, you know, human services kind of based working with children or whatever, but a lot of ecotourism uh, was there as well. And then, so my job was to manage staff and volunteers, to recruit volunteers, to recruit members, because it was a membership organization. That's how, that's how uh, it stayed afloat. My job was also to promote trips and events to get people together to go on outings as groups to uh, host events, to bring in speakers, and really to be the liaison also for the U.S. Embassy 
at the time to disseminate information. And what was, what was really interesting was, you know, I joined in 2001 to 2003. Well, at the end of 2001, September 9-11 hit and saw a massive decline in tourism due to, due to that. So it, it was an amazing place, but it did go through some struggles to try and maintain memberships. But the whole concept was to be a support system for people that are traveling uh, volunteering and learning in Ecuador. And I think, yes, uh, myself, witness to that, that South America's Corica was a big provider of information, as you said, reviews for travelers who would get off the plane and they'd get to this country and we didn't have this information. However, in the last 10 to 15 years, we now have something else called the internet. And <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's sort of so basically, most of the things you described right now about trip reviews, okay, we have TripAdvisor, uh, recommendation for hotels and hostels, we have uh, Booking.com, Hostel World, different sort of platforms. And so now we have this whole world of information out there. So how would you say that travel is different now than with all this information on the internet? Well, I think there's been a huge a just monumental rise in access to information for starters, instant information, mm-hmm. um, which really wasn't there then, uh, you know, when I came first to Ecuador. But travel planning used to be exclusively, as I mentioned, with uh, Lonely Planet books and other travel books with maybe physical maps, street maps and topo maps. But there's something called Google, like you said, and, and travel blogs for reviews. The, the access to information is so much easier now. Frankly, traveling people are booking a lot of travel by themselves, although there is an interesting kind of downside or flip to that. There's so much competition that somebody that has a really complicated itinerary really still rely on the specialty travel agents to help them work out some of these complications that that are out there um, for, for world travel. But, you know, from a technology standpoint, I remember when I first came to Ecuador, we had no cell phones. Cell phones, I think the first flip phone came out in 96. So cell phones were there, but I didn't have one. We were communicating back home via postcards, letters, and the internet cafes that had dial-up that popped up all over, paid for by the hour. I remember the first time I saw an iPod, which I think came out in 2001. And I was confused because I'd only known Walkmans and, you know, CD Walkmans. And and I, I remember questioning the traveler about how do you get music on there? Why do you want to care? Why do you want to carry your music around? I just didn't understand. I didn't understand the concept. And he told me he could have like a thousand songs on there. I was just blown away. You know, I remember I traveled to South Africa a few years ago and um, they drive on the left-hand side and I was so grateful for Google Maps. It was such a comfort. I could concentrate on, you know, trying to navigate this vehicle, but the fact that it had navigation built in, it was comforting. It allowed me to get where I needed to go safely and efficiently. But now with Wi-Fi and iPads, smartphones and Google Voice and Instagram and TikTok and all this stuff, you know, I think travel back in the day was very organic. I think people met up, there were meetups, there were very uh, organic experiences. One of my favorite experiences working at South American Explorers was actually all the music uh, sessions we would have, travelers bringing in their instruments. And, you know, I poorly played guitar, but I'd, you know, be there and sing. And it was so organic just by meeting up with people. It wasn't as remote and as distant as it is now. Certainly it's easier to connect with people 
than it is than it was back then. I'm sorry, it's easier on a global scale, but I don't know that it's as personable. You jumped into one of my questions and uh, to make it easier for the audience, just point out maybe two or three advantages and three three disadvantages. I think that back then, the, the experience with traveling was very organic. People were very excited to discover others with like interests. You didn't have to put something out into the ethernet and get a barrage of people, you know, filling up your email box with, with interest. You, you met people on the trail or in the hostel or in the internet cafe, struck up a, an organic kind of, kind of friendship or experience with them and then plan travel with them, which I think is, is you just can't beat that. On the other hand, you, there are ways because thanks to technology, to find out whether or not where you're going is safe. You can, you can get firsthand experience from travelers in some of these trip reports that I mentioned at South American Explorers, but online you can discover at a you know, very quick pace what people are experiencing at the moment. And I think from a safety standpoint, I think it's, it's much faster. You know, I love Lonely Planet, but as soon as the books are published, they can, you know, things can change. So I think that, that having technology and being able to look things up is, is very helpful, definitely. You know, travel photography is another thing that's, that's, really, that's really changed. Um, I love taking photos and taking, and I used to bring my, I had my SLR camera when I was in South America. And, and uh, unless you're really proficient, it's, it's hard to get really good quality photos uh, with a with an all manual camera but now there's the GoPro there's there's cell phones with yeah high resolution the macro ability i mean that's a game changer as well and i think that has allowed for um, this whole new industry and this new profession which has come up which is called the social media influencers people are making careers out of um, so i think there is something uh, you want to talk about good and bad. Um, I I don't quite understand living and traveling your entire experience through a camera and mm-hmm. everywhere you go holding a camera up so that you can experience everything through the, the camera. I I much prefer to experience it through my through my eyes and very organically and take pictures along the way. But it's a whole different kind of uh, uh, a whole different kind of travel these days where every moment is captured. Um, first on a camera before it's experienced by the person. And that's too bad because I think it's, I think you lose a lot in translation when you travel that way. The fact that people are so connected to home while they're traveling, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, again, again, good and bad. When I was, when I was in Peace Corps, I was in for three weeks and out for one. And the first place I hit was the internet cafe, certainly. So I can communicate with home. It was super important. I think being, constant contact you lose that that specialness first of all you lose the i think the the concentration on doing what you're there for which is to travel or work and concentrating on that so it's it's great to be able to connect instantly but i think it uh it it makes it a little less special that it's that we're always on and always connected yeah i i think it's it is an amazing you know, with, with dial up, I mean, I remember we'd, we'd hook up, we'd dial up, we'd go order a, a coffee while the thing was connecting. Exactly. Um, we'd chat with people while it was connecting. It, it would take, you know, probably a good five minutes. But I was so excited to get connected 
that that was worth the wait. But in the meantime, you had these real interactions with other people that were waiting. So it wasn't this focus tunnel vision on your phone, on your device all the time. It was, you know, everybody was sharing in the same experience. And I think it was a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more personal, personable. But I certainly would not trade that for, even though I, I really enjoyed the connections I made, I'm really loving the fact that, that we can be as connected now and experience things more globally than we ever have before. Okay, perfect. What was a particularly wow moment for you? I've traveled to New Zealand and Tahiti and Bora Bora, South Africa, and I recently spent, last year, spent a month in Greece. But I have to always go back to when I was in Ecuador and summiting Cotopaxi. Now, Cotopaxi is one of the highest active volcanoes in the world. And normally I go down snow-covered mountains. I don't go up them. And there were some Peace Corps volunteers that were leaving service and they were climbers and they were inviting others to go up. And it was eight hours of the hardest trek up 19,000 feet that I've ever done in my life with a glacier around us and on top of us. And it was the most exhilarating wow moment. That is, I, I just can't top that. I, but another one that is close is, is seeing wild toucans and howler monkeys when I was in Ecuador. Um, as a biologist, you know, Ecuador is the size of Colorado and there's so much biodiversity in such a small country. I mean, there's like 25,000 species of vascular plants and 6,000 species of butterflies. Ecuador has the smallest deer. It has the largest rodent, the longest snake, the smallest monkey. I mean, it's just unbelievable the amount of biodiversity that's there. And, and those two things really stick out as just complete wow moments from my time in Ecuador. Okay. And any moments that you like, you were like, okay, no, maybe I should do what my brother is doing and just, you know, get a home somewhere and stay and not move? No, I, you know, I mean, there, I, I've had an exceptionally dangerous uh, incident that happened in, in Ecuador. And I still think that that, that does not preclude me from, from traveling. Um, I, I don't see settling down. Uh, I am pursuing my master's in public administration, but I don't consider that as staying in one place. Definitely not. Okay. Did you, did you want to share with us that experience or is it something you don't want to sure. talk about? Okay. No, I, 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 I can. It's a, I think it's, an, it's important. Um, you know, I've had a lot of the typical maladies that, that travelers get, you know, I've, I, I, some are typical. I had dengue fever and I've had, it could have been malaria because they, they're very similar. I've had worms and giardia, but, but I've owned the only real danger that I faced while abroad was as a Peace Corps volunteer. And I'm still very positive about it, even though they've, they've now shut down. Um, it was a great experience, but I was stationed in a very remote area working in the buffer zone on a really valuable piece of land, something like 3,000 hectares. And I was working with a, a local environmental nonprofit group, I won't say who, but uh, it was important, the area was important watershed for, for that area. And um, I was learning to play guitar. We had travelers come up and they were playing guitar and we'd have these parties and everything. And finally, after being there for over a year, I thought, why am I just listening to the guitar? Why don't I, why don't I practice the guitar. And in fact, this, this story could be titled How the Guitar Saved Me or Saved My Life. I uh, was practicing my guitar and I, I ended up going down into my cabin because I, I was 
I think I was bothering some of the staff and volunteers that were in the main common area. So I went down to my cabin, which was unlit. It was, we didn't have electricity. And so I went down there to practice. And all of a sudden I started hearing these shouts. It was probably 30 minutes later, these shouts, men yelling, doors being kicked in. I looked down the path and up to the main building and I saw men with machetes and, and guns. And I thought, huh, I wonder what the locals are upset about. I just, I couldn't fathom what was happening. I went into my room and I put the guitar down. I came back out and I thought, well, I should probably go up there. Maybe I can smooth things out. And um, then all of a sudden flashlights hit the pathway leading to my to my cabin and I started hearing footsteps and I thought, hmm, this probably isn't going to be such a good idea. So I jumped into the forest and hid behind one of the big trees and I heard the, the footsteps come down and I heard my name being called in Spanish and it was one of the park guards, but thank goodness I didn't recognize his name because he, what I found out later was he had a gun to his head and they were calling for my name for me to come out and I just stayed put and didn't go out. So finally they gave up. I, although I did hear my guitar play and I thought, God damn it, they stole my guitar. But um, I went, I sat out of, of the cabin until I couldn't hear any more sounds. I didn't hear any screaming, but I did hear crying and I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was trying to figure out, can I try to go around? And, and all I had was a candle. I didn't even have a decent flashlight. Can I try to go for help? Um, I couldn't figure it out. And then I didn't hear anything. So after about another half hour, I snuck, snuck up. The, the place was empty. And I thought, my God, they've kidnapped everybody. And then I heard something upstairs in the common area in one of the rooms. I heard some shuffling. So I, I went up there and I came around onto the balcony and there was a tripwire that was leading from the door handle to the balcony. And then I realized it wasn't attached to anything. So I untied it flung open the door and 13 people were bound and gagged, tied, crying, uh, all completely um, lying down and tied up. I was just, I was in shock. And I quickly untied everybody. I found out that they had raped all of the women, except, I mean, this, this had lasted probably about an hour or so, uh, but they had one of, one of the women, it was an Ecuadorian, told them that she had AIDS. And that if they got her, that she would get, get sick or that they would get sick. But um, they had pistol whipped the men. They'd stolen everything and they'd taken off. And uh, so I got them untied and all of us ran into the forest and we slept. In, well, we didn't sleep, but we stayed in the forest until morning. And then we hiked out and uh, come to find out it was what we believed happened was the one of the logging uh, companies had hired these thugs to storm the station and they were looking for the owner that they were going to kidnap and they didn't find him. So they ended up, you know, um, assaulting the people that were there. But what was really interesting about all of that, as horrible as that was, you know, I went through some survivor guilt, of course, and then one of the German volunteers that was there who had been raped by several men, um, she comforted me, which was amazing. And she said, Cindy, you were supposed to be left out there because who else was going to be able to find us? And I thought that was just an unbelievable uh, reaction to all of that. So needless to say, I was pulled out. This was about three months shy of my Peace Corps, Peace Corps time. 
And nobody went up there until they had some better security and, and had some, I don't think the, I think the people were found, but I don't think they spent much time in jail. But it was definitely wild, wild west. And that was my kind of Indiana Jones story. Oh, but it was, it was because I, I decided to practice the guitar out of the uh, earshot of the locals that were there and the travelers that were there that I wasn't captured. So even something like that mm-hmm. still makes me want to travel. Even experiencing something like that was we, quite a, an event. Exactly. We never know how we'll get ourselves out of certain situations in life at times. We don't. And, yeah. And so now we're, we're, we're actually getting close to the end of the show. So I need to ask you my last question is mm-hmm. in su- basically in summary, with all the, the, the bad and the good experiences, because obviously, as you said yourself, you've had a lot more wow experiences than bad experiences. What is something that you have learned from your travel experiences that you'd like to share? The biggest thing that I think is, and I think I mentioned it a little bit before, it, it, just get out there and do it. Just, you know, traveling at any age and ability, at any ability, it's rewarding. You don't have to be able to climb a mountain. You don't have to be able to, you know, go on uh, whitewater rafting trips or whatever, but getting out of your, your comfort zone, sharing your humanity with the world. To me, there's nothing that's scarier than the U.S. I mean, I can't imagine anything that's, that is scarier than, than what we're going through right now, the pandemic, with the wildfires that are happening in California, with this whole political up, upheaval. Um, but when the world does open up again, get out there. Get out there and explore it because there's only one life. There's only one experience you can have. And to stay inside your comfort zone is, is really doing a disservice to your ability as a human to experience. So that's, my, that, that's what I would say is just, just do it. Just get out there. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And it was great catching up. We need to talk some more. <laughs> uh, and then I'm, I'm sure this will, since you will come back at another point with another story along the way as the Capsita Travel Talks continues. But thank you for joining me today. Okay. Thanks, Tony. You take care. Thank you for listening in. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to get a hold of Cindy, please take a look at the podcast notes to see how you could do so. Also in the notes, you could find information on how you could donate to the show. All contributions will be gratefully appreciated. If you have any questions, comments, or ways on which to improve of the show, please send an email to lcapsitatraveltalks at gmail.com. Don't forget to take a look at the Facebook page for the written stories. And as always, I look forward to seeing you here someday in the El Cafecito in Cuenca, Ecuador, or in our sister location in Quito. Bye for now, and please stay safe.